Okie doke. So we're good. All right, so we're going to do a brief... Um, I've already kind of dabbled in the third angel's message as far as talking about Babylon and that stuff, Mark of the Beast and stuff like that. But um, So this isn't exactly sequential. Some of it's just overlap. Like, I'm going to deal with worship tomorrow. It's not exactly sequential because it's talked about more than once. So bear with me here, but you're going to get three angels' messages content. That's all that matters, okay? So Revelation 13, 14, beginning of verse 9, we need to pray, and we'll jump into this. God, thank you for the chance to reflect upon the third angel's message uh, to close out for today and then into tomorrow. I pray that your hand of blessing would be with us, that you would guide us into all truth, and that you would uh, plant seeds that will germinate with even more truth from what we learned today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Revelation 14, beginning of verse 9, the third angel's message, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark in his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He should be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So God makes it very clear that to remain in this system and to receive its mark of authority has dire and eternal consequences. He doesn't mince that. But it's all couched in the solution in Jesus, right? So we're not making the problem bigger than the solution. This is the danger of preaching about Rome all the time and not offering the gospel solution in Jesus. Because you've actually magnified a problem and under-addressed the solution. Does that make sense? And we talked about this when you tell your testimonies. You should not overly share dark, bad things that happen in your life. And then like, oh, by the way things are better because I found Jesus. Like, you took me into a dark corner and left me there, right? I'm in a dark alley hoping I can get home okay, safely. So it's the same situation here. You don't want to make the picture darker than the solution that's found in Jesus, right? Uh, This doesn't mean you downplay the problem. It just means you better pump up the Jesus, right? A.T. Jones in his 1893 General Conference messages makes the point that rebutting the false views of the gospel, the teaching of Babylon, which is doomed to fall, is the third angel's message. And you'll read that uh, in one of your assignments. Okay? Then we get to verse 11. It says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, I find it very interesting that those who receive the mark of the beast, which by default means that they've rejected God's invitation to rest in his accomplished work, right? Because that's the first angel's message. They have no rest day or night. It's the logical consequence of refusing the rest available to them in Christ. This is not a statement about how long people burn in a fire, right? These people don't have rest day or night. How many people can attest to that? When you lived in the world, you did not have rest, right? It's true. You don't have rest day or night. And those who are not entering into the accomplished work of Jesus will not find rest in their experience. Okay, it's also a gospel consequence, Revelation 14 and verse 11. Then it says that here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So here comes the grand conclusion, a people who keep the commandments of God because of their encounter with the faith of Jesus. So the three angels' messages really are a chronology of God's gospel work before the second coming. Kind of see some of those threads? Revival, the teachings of the first and second angel's message kind of prepare you to succeed in the third angel's message. It's all kind of tied in together, okay? So what is justification by faith? It's the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. 
And when men see their own nothingness, they're prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Okay? That's Faith I Live By 111 for the second time today. (laughs) And not for the last time in general. So only Jesus can make Revelation 14, 12 a reality in our lives. This idea of those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They keep both, right? And we'll deal with the faith of Jesus tomorrow and buckle your seatbelts. You've been warned. Okay? So what will keep people from seeking to save themselves in the mark of the beast crisis is by seeing what Christ has already done for them and that they will be kept by His grace. This is what will lead people to stand in that crisis. Julie, you were talking about this earlier. This is part of what will lead to that, right? Encountering the goodness of God and seeing uh, what Christ... They, they will rest in the accomplished work of Christ in that moment, right? And will receive strength and draw strength from that, okay? Now, there are many quotes from Ella White... Uh, regarding what happened in 1888. In fact, if you feel like doing a large amount of reading, you can read through the multi-volume set of the 1888 materials. Uh, It's basically all the things, a majority of the things that Ellen White wrote concerning the events that happened at Minneapolis and the after effects. And then they're sorted chronologically. And so she said things many years after the fact. She said things while it was happening. She said things leading into it. So the 1888 materials, it's a lot of content, but it's, it's her writings, her letters to people about the circumstances that were going on. It's very helpful to get an idea of what happened. Ron Duffield's book, Return of the Lateran, Volume 1, quotes from the 1888 materials, and then it quotes from manuscripts and memories, which are the letters from other people to Ella White during that period. 1888 materials shows what she's saying back to people. So you had to kind of work through both of those collections to kind of get an idea of what conversations were happening about these types of things. Okay, So anyway, in Testimonies to Ministers, there's a whole section, we talked about this Saturday night uh, in Wandering in the Wilderness, where um, there's this, this um, I forget the name of the chapter now, because Daryl's got my book, but I think it's like Council Refused or something like that. But uh, anyway, there's a section in Testimonies to Ministers where she addresses a lot of these issues of 1888. So here we are. She says, this is Testimonies to Ministers 91.2. The Lord in His great mercy sent a most precious message to His people through elders Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior. So one of the intentions of the 1888 message was to be even more intentional in uplifting Jesus before the world. Do you want to know what the 1888 message was? Here's part of it. Okay, There's more things we'll see here in a moment from Wagner and Jones. But to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Okay? So part of the 1888 message was communicating the supremacy of Jesus, our only hope is found in the merits of Christ, and that we need to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. This is what needed to be brought before the people. And then, obedience to the commandments is how the righteousness of Christ is made manifest in your life. Not, I need to obey the commandments of God to receive God's favor. Right? It put things in their proper order. There's a vision that William Miller, I believe, was given. Uh, It was him or Ella White, but I think it was William Miller and Ella White comments on it. That William Miller was given this vision of a casket and... Uh, it was filled with these beautiful jewels, but all these people kind of came in and started picking up and handling the jewels, and then the room was a mess. The jewels were scattered all over the room, and there was this horror that came over the person that saw the vision, because for the life of me, I can't remember right now if it's her or him. Um, and in this moment of distress, 
an angel comes in the room with a dust broom and sweeps up the jewels and puts them back in the casket. And the statement that I think Ella White makes on commenting on it was that the, ju the jewels shone forth with 10 times their former glory. What seems to be implied through this vision was that there was a time in which the truths that Christianity held dear were lost sight of, but when they were rearranged through divine means, they shone forth with 10 times their former glory. And I believe this was part of the 1888 message as well, this idea of rearranging things. We weren't getting rid of the Sabbath or the state of the dead or any of these. We weren't getting rid of stuff. We were putting them in the proper place. As she says, that each of these individual teachings that we hold so dear find their power in relation to the theme of the cross. And they can shine with 10 times their former glory when you see Jesus at the heart of them, okay? But then she says this tragic line that many had lost sight of Jesus. And that can be the case in the way that we have approached this message, that we lose sight of Jesus. No, 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 we talked about Jesus in night three of the evangelistic series. Now let's jump into present truth and prophecy. Well, prophecy should be telling you something about Jesus. Present truth, divorced from Jesus, isn't actually present truth. So we need to make sure that we're not losing sight of that, okay? That's her words, not mine. Then she says, they needed to have their eyes directed to the divine person, his merits, and his changeless love for the human family. So God's undying love for the human family was also part of the 1888 message. All power is given into his hands that he may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent. Another component of the 1888 message is the Laodicean message, recognizing your nothingness, right? To the helpless human agent. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in large measure. So she's making the connection that Duffield also makes in his book, Return of the Latter Rain, Volume 1, that when this message is preached, heaven then gives the latter rain to empower that message to go to the world with a loud cry. Are you understanding? So the latter rain is not just something that you pray for, and then all of a sudden you finally have the guts to tell your neighbor about Jesus. That's not what's being talked about with the latter rain. The la there are two things that lead to it that we've been told. The first is much fervent prayer. That's absolutely true. But the other part is equally essential, the preaching of the message that heaven can endorse. The latter rain being poured out is heaven's endorsement of a message and heaven's power to proclaim that message with a loud voice to the world. So the message we preach also is a big contributing factor to whether the latter rain will fall. Hence, why it's not falling right now. We have to own that. It isn't happening right now. It was happening then, when this message is being preached. 1889, 90, 91, 92, 93. But that process stopped, okay? And so we don't have to think, well, well what do we do? Go back to what heaven was endorsing before and do it again. Repent and do it again. Yes, sir? Is it a given that the latter rain is going to happen, or is it only if we do what we need to do? Well, I just said there's prerequisites. Yeah. Prerequisites. Much fervent prayer and the preaching of the message. The latter rain is not just going to come on whenever God feels like it. Well, well, it's yeah. heaven's endorsement of a message, right? So if we aren't preaching the message, it can't come. Of course. Okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. 
but it's not going to come at any random time. It's an answer to the requirements that God has given, right? Yeah. So that's that's the issue. So it's not like oh it'll never happen. Like ah we didn't like, we didn't like miss it, grieve it forever. Like prophecy says it will happen. So that's a guarantee. It's just that the process began, it was stopped because of our resistance, and it will rekindle again and do its its final work. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So um, the uplifted Savior, continuing uh, Testimonies of Ministers 92.1, the uplifted Savior is to appear in His effica- efficacious work uh, as the Lamb slain, sitting upon the throne to dispense the priceless covenant blessings, the benefits He died to purchase for every soul who should believe on Him. And we've even alluded to some of this, right? The fact that Jesus lived the righteous life that we have not lived, and He says, I have to leave, and it's a good thing, because if I don't, the Spirit can't come to you. So part of those covenantal blessings is the work of the Holy Spirit writing that law in your heart and in your mind and empowering you to live Christ's life. That's part of what she's talking about, okay? So, um, the benefits he died to purchase for every soul who should believe on him. The message of the gospel of his grace was to be given to the church in clear and distinct lines that the world should no longer say that Seventh-day Adventists talk the law, the law, the law, but do not teach or believe Christ. Those are her words, not mine. There's a reason why Seventh-day Adventists are called legalists by our brethren in the world. Part of that reason is our fault. We can just say, well, they're not converted. They don't want to believe the truth. You can say that, but the truth of the matter is the way in which we have approached this message has led people to assume that that's all that we believe. There's another place where Ellen White says we've been preaching the law so much so that we're as dry as the hills of Gilboa. And so she did not mince words about these issues, guys. She was saying, you have to bring Christ at the heart and center of everything. The law is not the goal. Jesus is the goal, and He's the one that enables you to keep the law. Okay? We've been so obsessed with the commandments of God that we've forgotten and neglected the faith of Jesus. And this is what Ella White was saying. These are her words. Page 93 of Testimonies to Ministers. For years, the church has been looking to man and expecting much from man, but not looking to Jesus, in whom our hopes of eternal life are centered. Therefore, God gave to His servants a testimony that presented the truth as it is in Jesus, which is the third angel's message in clear, distinct lines. Don't bark at these brethren. They're doing God's work, is what she's saying. And remember we talked about this yesterday, that James White had this increasing conviction to preach the gospel, right? To have Jesus at the heart of everything. And, and Ellen White and James White would talk about this frequently together uh, in the orchard near their house before he died. Well, when Jones and Wagner were preaching what they were preaching at the 188 General Conference session, she says that every, bo- every ounce of my body cried amen. It's not exactly her language, but that's basically what she's saying, that every part of her said amen. And she says it was the first time that I heard somebody else communicate the things that my husband and I had been talking about on those days in the orchards. She realized that the promise that God gave her when James died, that God would raise up other laborers to pick up the work that James just laid down, it was Jones and Wagner. And that's why she was wholeheartedly endorsing them because she saw what was going on. And some people will say, you don't need to read Jones and Wagner. Those guys left the church anyway. Just read Steps to Christ and Desire of Ages. Well, that's a faulty assumption, first of all, because Ellen White is very clear that the message that God gave these men was heaven sent. Yeah. 
It's an unfortunate circumstance. We rejected them, like Joshua and Caleb that we talked about on Saturday night. We rejected them, and they eventually left the church over that. Um, two different ways, but it's unfortunate. Jones got yoked up with Kellogg and pantheism and some of the other stuff. It's just bad. So uh, let me finish my thought, but don't forget yours, okay? Because uh, I want to come to that. But if I don't, I may forget where I was because I was going to say this yesterday, then I forgot because I chased another rabbit. So here's the rabbit. I must address it. So um, she actually makes some statements, and you'll hear them in Ron Duffield's book, that these men found language to communicate the burdens on my heart that I had no words for. So she actually implies that they were able to communicate this message better than I could. She actually says that. And so to say, we don't need to read Jones and Wagner's writings, all we really need to do is focus on just whatever Ellen White said, Steps of Christ, Desire of Ages. Gospel's themes are certainly in there, but she also acknowledged that God gave these men clarity in communicating this message in a way that I could not find words for. Right? She was convicted of what was true, but to find language to properly communicate it, she felt that what God did for them and through them was very helpful. And she talks about this in other places where uh, when the Advent Church was founded, that they would be studying in a barn together. And because some people say, you know, you guys just get your beliefs from Ella White. That's not true either. There would be times whenever she would be studying with the other people who were founding the Advent movement. And she's like, I don't, I don't get what these guys are saying. Like, I wouldn't understand what they're saying. And then they would come to an impasse, and then God would bring her a division. She would pick up her Bible. She would turn and point to a verse, and then turn and point to another verse. And the verses that God gave her to share with them, she didn't even say anything. She was just turning. When that happened, that gave them the answers they were looking for to make it through. So she would acknowledge, I didn't have all those answers. So for us to assume Ella White knew everything is not really fair to her. She didn't. She knew the things that God would tell her, or she would get burdens or thoughts, but sometimes would fail to have proper language to communicate them. She says that a lot. Language fails me. Okay, so she acknowledged that with Jones and Wagner. We're not downplaying the prophetic gift at all. I'm just saying for us to say that we don't need to listen to what Jones and Wagner said when she said, even if these men fall away, what they're saying needs to be heeded. And she says they were using language that I could not find. I think we should listen. We're still wandering because we're interpreting her writings a different way on what she says about that stuff. It's clear. Read it, follow it. So let's do that, right? And we can go home. Yes? Oh, so essentially it's like I'm understanding like basically like the angel's message is like Christ and righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. He's the center of everything. It's following him throughout the process, like where Jesus is at. The hour of his judgment is come because of where he is and as he's standing in the most holy place the temple she says she saw the temple open and the law of god and so it's like jesus is the center of it and all these are revolving around him Mm -hmm. and so it seems like that's kind of what i'm getting that's exactly right it, so you don't negate what we believe. And this is where people can go to an opposite extreme. We are not negating what we currently believe. We're saying those things don't find their full power until they revolve around Jesus. You keep what you believe, but then you put the two together. And you'll see this from Wagner, actually. He'll make a, or from Jones. He'll make a really interesting point. So um, 94.1, Testimonies to Ministers. This is the testimony that must go out go throughout the length and breadth of the world. It, and no, it's Ellen White that says it. It presents the law and the gospel, binding up the two in a perfect whole. The ditches and Adventism highlight one or the other. She says this message brought them both together. The law and the gospel is one perfect whole. The law is not opposed to the gospel. The gospel is not opposed to the law. The two go hand in hand, okay? And 
It's, uh, this is from Jones in his 1893 General Conference sermons. He says, where there's not only a belief in God's Word, but a submission of the will to Him, where the heart is yielded to Him, the affections fixed upon Him, there is faith. It's this idea of faith that works, and that faith without works is dead. It's not faith at all, is the point that's being made. Wagner makes that point, actually, in, in your book, um, Lessons on Faith. It's not faith at all if it doesn't work. 1893. This is the truth of justifying... This is still Jones, his 1893 sermons. This is the truth of justifying faith, and that is righteousness by faith. It is a faith that works, and thank the Lord for it. It is not a faith that believes something from a distance, or that keeps the truth of God in the outer court, and then seeks by his own efforts to make up the lack. It is not that. No, it is faith that works. It is itself working. It has a divine power in it to manifest God's will in man before the world. That is righteousness by faith, the righteousness which faith obtains, which it receives and which it holds, the very righteousness of God. So it doesn't downplay works. It puts them in their proper place. They're a consequence, not a cause of salvation. Okay? Good stuff, huh? So the crisis at the end of time is going to be that last showdown of man's efforts versus the gospel, from fig leaves back to the robe of righteousness. Adam and Eve lost that robe, right, when they decided to do their own thing and act independently of God because they thought God was selfish. Who told them that, right? And Well, really, she thought it and convinced him, but anyway, it's all, all tied in. They're all lumped in together. And, and God, the testimony that God gives through Paul later is that Adam, at the end of the day, the buck stops with him, right? As in Adam, all died. So, Proverbs 28, 13 says that he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And so this, this is kind of the heart of why we need to be doing what it is that we're called to do, right? And finding that proper balance. You don't abandon the teachings of the movement. You help them find their power in relation to Christ and His righteousness. And when you do that, there is a powerful synergy that takes place. People are led to repentance and also to find forgiveness, right? It, it's this perfect law-gospel union. And so that's, that's what the world's needing. They're still waiting on it. And Romans 8 makes a pretty damning statement that basically the entire world is groaning, longing for the redemption of men, that it's suffering, it's crying for help, the world is, meaning the natural elements even are crying for the redemption of men. The world is suffering for a message of redemption that can heal the earth and heal the human heart. So we got to do something about that, guys. That's the purpose of the Three Angels' messages. So um, any, any thoughts on this? I'll close with that for today because I can't go anything else with the, the time that we got. Language? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Language fails me. This kind of reminded me of like when Paul was shipwrecked, you know, like um, the guards weren't supposed to leave the ship, like everybody was supposed to stick together, and like when the time was right, and like everybody had what they needed to get to shore, like you have to stick with the system. Yeah. No, it's a really good parallel when Paul says, you know, if these men leave, you know, we'll all perish. So they cut off the boat, you know, the ship, and we had to, we go through this together. Um, I won't go and make a further application and say that Adventism shipwrecked. Uh, you're, not, you're not saying that. You're not saying that. But I'm, I'm just making sure that people who hear this recording later are not going to think that's what I'm saying. 
this, this boat is bound for glory no matter what we're floating on at the end of the day. Uh, if, the, if the ship breaks because of the IRS or whatever else these people can cook up, whatever, uh, this movement's bound for glory. But it's true. And, and, and that point was made by Taylor Bunch, right? How sad it is that Caleb and Joshua had to wait but they didn't go and try to take the land by themselves. It would have ended in disaster. They stayed and waited for the whole movement to get into Canaan land. It's the same for us. So leaving is not going to fix the problem. This is not the time for us to lose young gospel preachers. We need them now more than ever. And if Ellen White says that youth rightly trained will finish the work, then we need to make sure we're giving them the tools they need. And this is why we designed the program the way that we did here at CORE was to ensure that you're rightly trained, not just given the math of the three angels' messages, to understand the heart of them, and to be given practical ministry skills to go and change the world with the truth that you've come to understand for yourselves. That's why you're here, right? And I, and I hope you're receiving benefits from that, because um, I believe that when this message is treasured and shared, it changes people's lives. How do I know that? Because I get messages from Adventists all the time, who have been Adventists their whole life, and for the first time, now we're finding assurance of salvation, now we're understanding the purpose of the church, and it's changing their life. Well, it's unfortunate that they've had to wait 40 years in the wilderness to hear it, but at least they're hearing it. And so they're, they're, I don't know if you guys really appreciate that what you've been hearing this week, yes, it's a message that will change the world, but it's also a message that will transform the church. People are hurting in the church. They're discouraged in the church. They're convinced that God can't love them because they're too broken and too messed up and they've made too many mistakes. And this message doesn't just preach mercy and love and acceptance. It also gives them marching orders, and it also gives them a form of accountability to keep them in His care. It's the whole package, guys. You can get the whole thing. So... It's, uh, it's unfortunate that we've had dark chapters in our story and things didn't go as, as they needed to have gone, but this is the good news. God loves us enough to stick with us for 40 years in the wilderness to help us finally cross that Jordan. And so if God in His great mercy is going to love us through our wandering and our rejection of that most precious message, He's still here. He's still doing a work through us but he wants to do even greater work and he wants us to cross that Jordan. And it's going to take accepting this message. I believe that then this message, Christ and righteousness, um, the merits of Jesus, the, the very heart of Christ, I feel like it can soften up the, that um, self-righteous Laodicean heart that says, I'm good enough, I'm rich and increasing good, I know it all, so on and so forth. Like it could correct that issue. That's absolutely right. Yeah. It doesn't just deal with the harm of Babylon. It also is the Laodicean message of you recognizing your nothingness. And God's not saying you're a loser. He's just trying to help you understand, like, what you're clinging to for identity is a futile venture. That doesn't work. No one's good enough. Save Jesus. The whole point of the gospel is not that you need to be good enough. It's that Jesus is good enough, and you can be clothed with His righteousness that you are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1 tells us, right? Yeah, hopefully our eyes are starting to kind of open to the big picture issues here, um, and it'll whet your appetite to keep studying and keep growing. But any other thoughts or questions before we close? Proud of you for legging it out. Just need to make it one more day, but do not miss tomorrow. I don't care what's going on. You do not want to miss tomorrow. 
the faith of Jesus is going to rock your socks off. Um, I'm not kidding. So, like, just get ready. Um, so, all right, if you don't have any other questions, then let's pray. God, we just thank you for how beautiful this message is, what it's intended to do. Uh, you've given us some practical counsel along the way on how to talk about it, why it's important, uh, what our previous mistakes have been, why we're wandering in the wilderness. And we're just so thankful that there's a solution in Jesus, no matter where we find ourselves. And so I pray, oh God, that you would awaken us, this sleeping giant uh, that is meant to change the world. I pray that this movement would be awakened to an even greater purpose and an even greater impactful mission that you've given us, that we would embrace this message, that we would embrace the call, and that the world can be not only just be warned, but be warmed by the love of Jesus. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.